Welcome back. Dealer Talk, episode four. Super excited today. We have an amazing, amazing guest. Um, I can't wait to introduce him. Uh, before I do that, let me check in with Mr. Eric Nelson, my co-host. Eric, how are you feeling today, sir? You know what? I'm highly motivated, family. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm excited about today's guest, not only as a as the knowledge base, but just as the, the, the friendship that's that's budding and blooming. So pretty, pretty fired up. Yeah, man, me too. So, um, you know, this person that we're going to have on is somebody that has um, a lot of experience uh, just in business in general, somebody that um, I'm excited to have on because I think the conversation is going to, uh, because of his background and, and, and you know, just the, the vast amount of experience in business that he has, I think the conversation is really going to, um, you know, bring in some insights uh, based on based on his experience and things that that are going to be valuable uh, to the automotive industry, to the people that are in the business uh, listening in. So, without further ado, let me introduce Mr. Bill Schomburg. Bill, how are you doing, sir? Good morning, Herb. I'm well. I'm excited and grateful for the opportunity to chat with you and Eric this morning, and uh, humbled by the invitation. So it's a great morning. Yes, sir. Yeah, we're excited to get into it. So before we do that, though, can you, for the listeners, can you share your background, your experiences, and what you're currently doing? Absolutely. I began my professional career as a horse trainer. I was born and raised in Nebraska. Uh, My mother provided a love of horses, and uh, at the young age of 16, I experienced some really undeserved success. Uh, I guess hard work does pay off. But I I found out that you could make a living training horses for other people. And I parlayed that experience into a a 20-year career where I had a shingle hung out. But it's been uh, a better part of 40 years of working with horses and people of different types of clientele all different disciplines. I didn't do any horse racing, but all types of competitive performance horses, all types of uh, breeds. And just the opportunity that provided was to meet people and to work with individuals from all walks of life. The level that I competed at, the people who could afford those types of horses had disposable income created by their success in business. And so I was able to be exposed to and and work with and assist people uh, in that strata and get to know a little bit about what a successful business looks like. I got married when I was 42 years of age, and uh, I became a stepfather, a husband, and a new business owner at about that time. From the horse business, I transferred into uh, the synthetic grass industry, and I built sports fields, uh, different surfaces for colleges, high schools, mostly acting as a subcontractor until a later part of that career, and again, got to meet people, different uh, types of projects, whether you're working for a pro team, uh, a high-visibility college or the local high school. And so, again, it offered me amazing insight and opportunities to work with all different types of people in all walks of life. And what I've learned about myself is I love people. And 
my most recent uh, venture. I left the synthetic turf industry, um, kind of a low point in my life. My wife passed away from brain cancer at the end of 2016. And the company that I worked for in the synthetic turf industry, they could not have supported a, an employee any better than they did my wife and I. But with her passing, I, I tried to go back to work. Uh, that company is very high performing. It's a company called the Modes Group in Cincinnati, uh, Ohio. Just give them a little shout out. But um, when I tried to go back to work, I uh, wasn't healing well, wasn't resting, and knew that to honor the way that they had treated me, that I should step aside and let others um, kind of take my role. I was in workforce, workforce development for them. I trained uh, customer-facing employees to build the best field that we could. They're well known for their high-quality work. But as I, as I then looked at the next stage of my life, what, what in the world was a former horse trainer and former synthetic fake grass guy going to do? And my brother had worked in the automotive industry for about 25 years on the technology side. And he and I been, began to discuss opportunities. And he had formed a company in 2014, Pleasant Purchase, Inc. And we decided to offer a digital marketing consulting service that could be remotely delivered, and we believe we can scale it to serve any number of dealers that understand the impact and power of digital marketing. So I've kind of gone on a little bit there, but that's kind of the five, the nickel tour, if you will. No, I, 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 I let me ask you this because I, I think this can be um, utilized as a uh, a teaching teaching um, talk. Now, in working with horses, as it relates to people, where do you see that, I mean, was it a benefit having that background as a horse trainer in, in dealing with people? Um, was it different? I mean, how, how do you gain trust from horses? What is, the, what is your process? Oh, gosh, great question and insight, Eric. The, uh, I, I literally had this conversation last night. Horses desire three things, food water and leave me alone so you have to understand where motivation comes from and in order to get them to cooperate because we ask some pretty significant things from horses uh carries around on their back all day be happy doing it perform intricate maneuvers for us uh entertain us so for about the first five years, I struggled uh, as a professional. I, I had lots of clients, but I don't think I truly understood how to get along with that, that animal. And in the same token, when I did figure out the horse, I was still focused on the horse and not the relationship with my, my customers. And there, there was this light bulb moment when I realized that not only was I not communicating well, I wasn't creating healthy relationships. And when I figured that part out, and let me boil that down to a nutshell, when I figured out that it was more rewarding to assist someone else, to empower them to achieve results and win awards, or just have a better relationship with these expensive, frustrating animals, 
my life changed forever. <laughs> um, you, you, because I'm, I'm reading through your profile here, so just bear, bear with me. We got a little uh, a heads up on your on your bio. Um, but I, 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 you know, I read something that I wanted to bring to light because I want to know what that means to you. You wrote, you said, um, uh, hold on a second. It says, Lock Talk focuses on the digital delivery of inviting culture of your uh, of culture into your store. So I mean. What do you think? How does how does what you're bringing to the table compare with how it's being done now? Well, great. Again, another great question. Um, thanks for being really in depth with that. The, uh, the the in the short period that I've been involved with automotive and, and the long experience my brother offers, he's focused. He is so focused on relationship that he'll walk past the sales just to have a good relationship. And, and that's not criticism. The, the importance of the salesperson interacting with the customer in a relational way, forming a relationship. You know, we talk about digital marketing and leads and all those things. The greatest paid advertising, it starts with the salesperson. That salesperson, they receive a commission for completing a sale. And we've heard conversations recently about that relationship that's established. That's what creates the referral and the return opportunities in a, in a store, and especially for that individual salesperson. So if we can, if that is a healthy circumstance, the, the opinion that I look from or the, the perspective I look from is, how do we tell that story in the digital realm to when that virtual visitor comes to the website, do they experience the same thing that every other website creates, that being inventory, incentives, whatever the, the sale is for that week? And, and somebody recently said, of course a car dealership's having a sale. It's the weekend, isn't it? <laughs> so all of those, if, if we look like everyone else in the virtual realm, we're going to get what everyone else is getting. And, and our opinion is there's a great opportunity for dealers to focus on their greatest asset, which is their people, and let the inventory speak for itself after a relationship has begun with an individual salesperson or the BDC or wherever it starts. Because every... That's the other great thing about, uh, you ask about how does my experience in the horse business relate to automotive. Every single day that I walked into the barn, if let's say I had 20 horses that I was had under my care, those 20 horses were different every day. Just like if I have 20 salespeople, if I've got three F&I guys, if I've got two general sales managers, if I've got a general manager, everybody comes in. It's a new day, and we have no idea who the customers are that are going to show up. So we have to continually be ready to serve those individuals where they are, not just where we are as an individual, as a team member inside of a larger organization. That's uh, that, that, that's 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 powerful stuff. <laughs> you got a question? Yeah, I do. So. Um... 
you know, uh, you kind of caught my ear there for a second because I was having a, uh, um, a a really good question or conversation with a with a person with a decision maker at a dealership, and we're talking about the difference between SEO and SEM. And this person kind of had a mixed uh, mixed view when it came to that. Like he um, he kind of thought that the strategy was the same, right? And obviously. Um, SEO is more content based, where SEM is about keywords and, and you know getting the the customers' uh, intent, capturing the customers' intent on on mm-hmm. you know sh- search engines. And you talked mm-hmm. about creating a story, right? If if the dealer, you know, if that experience is the same from website to website, then you're going to pretty much get the same results, which I totally totally agree with. So my question is. Um, you know, with what you've done, what you've seen, what are some ways that you think that um, some dealerships, can, some dealerships, excuse me, can um, can kind of paint that story, right, uh, and do it in a way that's different, that's more engaging, perhaps, that's going to um, differentiate them from from the rest. Well, I think there's two 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 opportunities, Herb. The um, and and I always go again from experience company that I worked for in the turf industry, the Moats Group, they were built on a culture, a, a really positive, influential leader. He believed in culture from the get-go, and he'd been in business since 1976. When I met him in 2005, we engaged across a, a meeting table in his office, and uh, we didn't talk anything about how do you build an artificial turf sports field. We talked about our our lives and, and different experiences and, and lives and just like he got to know me as a person. So you translate that to the uh, the automotive store, the dealer store, and whether it's a in a large group or just a standalone rooftop, the culture starts from the top, and because we're all different, each store has that unique circumstance to tell their story. And let me give you a couple of quick, really cool examples or, or what have struck me. I shouldn't say cool examples. <laughs> There's a guy on LinkedIn, I, I'm sure he, both of you know him, uh, Bowtie uh, Campbell. That guy is amazing. Now, not all of us can be Bowtie Terrence Clamp- Campbell. It's impossible. He was born and gifted with a unique perspective and experience that created who he is today. But each store probably has some, someone inside the store that could be that individual. And the, the trick is, can, does the individual fit inside of the team with their experience, with the way they see themselves, with the way they see their team? And that's where management and culture comes in. Uh, I just made a connection this week with a GM. His name's Stephen Mason. And he, uh, I, I just believe the algorithms of LinkedIn had been hiding him from my feed because the three or four days that we've been connected, I'm just enamored of his, the culture, the leader that he is. Leadership, in my opinion, is positive influence and and. Influence can be positive or negative. We make a choice of what it's going to be. So if you take a dynamic, positive, influential leader that is permeating that culture, that good culture throughout his store, 
there's a unique story there to tell. And that can be translated through video, through uh, pictures and uh, images that represent those interactions inside the store. And it just takes somebody that can walk around the store and capture those moments. But it's, it has to be a dedicated effort. This is a long-term strategy. Because how did we get where we are? The, the Internet's been around about 20 years. And it's only really been, it's, the potential has only really been ignited for, say, the last six or seven. Does that make sense? No, yeah, it totally does. And, um, you know, I like what you're saying there because I, I personally, this is my own personal view, but, um, you know, I, I consult with dealerships on a regular basis. Um, um, in, in my current role, I cover six different states. So I, I'm exposed to different markets and, and different ways of doing things. And the one thing that I that I see that's consistent is, um, you know, I feel like there's a gap in our industry when it comes to content creation. Right. I don't think that we do enough with the opportunities that we have. And what I mean by that, for example, like, you know, um, I think dealerships have a have a, a great platform uh, with their websites and all the traffic that's going to them to do, um, you know, things that are that are different, like a like, a, you know, a, a blog on their on their site, but something that's updated regularly, right? That, that some efforts being put in there. The ones that I see are maybe have one or two posts and then after that, there's nothing. Uh, so that's obviously not going to work. But, you know, something that's done consistently, you know, two, maybe two, three pieces of content created every single every single week, um, you know, using social media. I, I don't I don't see that 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 that, that there's a, that's being utilized to its full potential. I mean, I see some of the ads like, oh, nine percent APR and things like that, whatever. But um, that's not the that's not the you're not going to get the value on a social media platform. With, those, with that type of, of reach, right? Or with that type of creative, rather. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I totally um, agree with what you're saying and I, and I see that myself. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that, you're, that you brought that up. Uh, so what about this? So I, I always have a lot of conversations when it comes to digital strategies on reporting and, you know, what, you know, obviously the, the conversation is something like this. Yeah, we see... Okay, we're driving more traffic to the website, but I'm not seeing any sales, right? Um, what are, what is your take on that? What do you think dealers can do to, um, uh, you know, kind of, is it a mind, mind shift uh, change that needs to occur where um, the digital is measured in, in activity and clicks and visits? Or is it, or there's a specific way that you can measure that activity um, where, where you can give the, the decision makers at dealerships what they want, which is, oh, I want to see more sales, right? Great question. The, uh, what, what we've learned in the brief period uh, that we've, we've actually been offering our consulting uh, remotely, if you ask a dealer the, the question, if I bring, uh, you know, our, our more leads going to create more sales. Or you say, what would it take to sell 20 more units next month? Referring strictly to the digital marketing side. The dealer immediately, or, or whether you're talking to the DP, the GM, whoever it is, they immediately go to the obstacles that are created imagining 
we're going to sell 20 more units next month. And there, there's two points to what I'm trying to offer, and I'll finish this one, then I'll get to what I think is a more important one. But if you ask a dealer, <laughs> there's, a, there's a quick funny side story. If you ask a dealer, if I put 20 more buyers in your door next month, can your sales staff close them? They immediately say, of course they can. They're looking for those those quality opportunities developed through the DM, whatever it is. But if you put the buyers in the door, the sales, sales staff, they know their closing rate. Uh, I had a great conversation with a dealer in Cincinnati, Ohio, and he, he changed his sell board to an appointment board. And, and uh, the thing I loved about him was he knew his closing rates. He knew his close against appointments. I, I mean, it was pretty powerful. And it, so instead of motivating his staff to close, which they already did well, he motivated them. Look, guys, if you'll set, if you'll each set one appointment a day and two on the weekends, we're going to hit our numbers and we're going to sell exactly what we are selling right now. And then we can move that up. Maybe set you can't set one and a half appointments a day, but the overall average, as they bump up their appointments, then they're going to maintain their good close rate because they know how to do that. So it is taking that virtual visitor of the website, using the digital marketing efforts, whatever it is, AdWords, um, all the options to drive the visitor to the website and through a good experience on the website that demonstrates culture into the showroom floor so the sales force can do their job. On the other side of that question, you talked about reporting and metrics and, and what have you. There's a, uh, a wonderful, it's about a 70 minute video, dealer refresh. Hope it's okay to reference uh, different uh, yeah, yeah. educational opportunities. But I, I, I watched it twice. I took two hours and 20 minutes to watch this video, a man named John Berna, who I've not met yet, but I uh, set an appointment with him. He was talking with two other individuals, and forgive me, I can't remember their name. Maybe we can post a link to it, and I can provide it to you. But they talked about the history of metrics and how reporting and all of the data that is, you know, dealerships create a massive amount of data and the tracking and all the things that go with it and the marketing companies that have tried to help them. But their premise, the question they asked was, is data dead? And uh, there's one key piece that stuck out to me. Over the last four to five years, if the dealers are spending X on their marketing, on their digital marketing, and they have all this data, they've invested per store seven to eight million dollars and what do they have to show for it? What are they doing with that data, those metrics that have been created, the potential for that? So on the dealer side, what's the DP interested in? What's the GM interested in? How many cars are we selling? So if they're not looking at and using that data, is it really valuable? We've, we've been told that it is, but how is it really valued? And moving forward, their premise is, one, because of some legislative changes that are coming, uh, two, because of how the market, the, the in-market buyers 
shifting their perspective. You know, uh, I saw a stat recently, 40% of people with a smartphone have deleted an app recently. And then I saw in the same report, 6,000 new apps are introduced daily in the world. Wow. So I've talked about digital disconnect, uh, all this. It, it, it all comes back to what the horse taught me and what people in the horse business and then people in the turf business taught me. It's all about human nature. Be a student of human nature. Know what your team does well. And then put processes in place that support your people. If you don't have good processes, your, your people issues can be covered. And if you don't have process, good processes, how do your people trust that what you're doing, it, you know, we all make mistakes, but if you, if there are continual missteps in supporting your people with poor processes, you lose trust. And in, in culture and relationship, trust is the, we all know it's the single most valuable thing and it's the most easily broken. So it can be a downward spiral, which of course is not good, but it can also be a really significant shift in how we look at just the simple things we do. I'm a, I'm a kiss guy. Keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> I like that. Hey, Bill. So, I mean, listen, number one, I mean, the information that you're providing, you, you, it's just, I mean, it's so well received. Thank you for just being with us today. Here's, here's, here's a, a I'm going to make a, a bold statement and, and see whether the, you agree with it, you don't agree with it. But we talk about, you know, the Internet's been around for 20 years, and, and just now it seems like within the past oh, eight years or so that dealerships are really scrambling to try and gain a foothold. I mean, um, I think that, that what, the, what the Internet does, what social marketing does as a dealership, from a, from a dealership aspect, it just exposes us. What that mean by that is this. It just exposes us whether we have really, whether we really have the culture that um, is inviting for the dealership. Because I know that, you know, the old uh, uh, car guy mentality is, is just to run through folks as fast as humanly possible to, to hit the bottom line gross for the for the. the for the day, for the month, for the year, blah, blah, blah. But um, I, I think that with the Internet and social marketing, again, as exposed, has made it a much more pure um, uh, system for selling cars. What I mean by that is that you had better have the culture that allows you, uh, you better have the service that allows you to continue to do the business from, from today and for the next 15 years. So I appreciate the internet so much. So for just, just, it, it's like the, it, it's like the cutting edge of a knife. You know what I mean? It really exposes dealership for what they do right, but more importantly, what they do wrong. And, and quite frankly, you know, listen, if they're caught up in, in just the numbers game, then I, I just, I don't have a lot of sympathy or empathy for those folks. They need to be exposed and they need to be dealt with accordingly and, and, and put out of business. I think I'd love the internet for that, for that, uh, uh, and social marketing for, for that exposure. I mean, and it's, it's, I know I'm talking a lot about me, but what, what do you think of that? I, I love when the internet, so I became,
became involved with the internet in 1994 and I worked with a trade show services contractor. We developed the trade show idea on the internet. Uh, we worked with a pretty large entity. Uh, eventually that entity bought us out. But the, at that time, the conversation was the internet is a micro look at macro society, meaning the internet, just as you said, and you said it very well, the internet exposes us for what we are. And, uh, gosh, I'm trying to think the, uh, that exposure, we either choose to, and, and this is a choice we make daily with or without the internet. We either choose to get better or we're not getting better. And I'm sure you, Eric, experience it. I'm sure you, Herb, do. Um, from, from your digital marketing experience, uh, what, are the, what are the opportunities that the dealers that you talk with, what are some of the things that they've done to improve that aspect? I'd be curious to know what you see, Herb. Um, yeah, you know, it's like I mentioned earlier, it's just, I just, there's, you know, and it resonates with what you were talking about regarding differentiation, right? I think that um, there's just not a lot of it, you know what I mean? And it, the, the, and to relate back to what Eric was saying, the, the, um, the cool thing about it is that it's very easy to differentiate yourself in the automotive industry today, in my opinion, because um, everybody's doing it the same way for the most part. So when you do something that's a little bit different, it just, you you stand out, right? And that's going to attract people to you. Um, you know, yeah, I, I, so it could be something simple. Like for example, I consult, consult with a store that's in a very small market it's a single point store and they have a huge, huge impact with a Facebook uh, initiative that they started a few years back where they put recipes, right? It's not related to the car business, but everybody eats and everybody goes to that, to that, you know, everybody goes, everybody goes there every week to their Facebook page to get the recipe of the week, right? And then, you know, they've actually had people come into the dealership and buy and be like, oh my God, your recipes are so awesome. And you know, we feel like we owe you, right? So when you put this this information out there in the right way, because if you if you go to Facebook to put, oh, I, you know, come buy my car, zero percent, everybody does that. You know what I mean? <laughs> but nobody's doing the recipe thing, right? So customers go day in and day out. They feel they owe the dealership now, right? Because they they've been provided with this value that has nothing to do with automotive at all. But when that when that customer is is on to buy a vehicle, what do they end up doing? They end up going to that store because they feel a debt, if you will. You know what I mean? Bingo. It, it reminds me I was in a – there's two points. One's a quick story. I was in a, a store in northern Kentucky, and I'm talking to the GM, but I'm looking over at this salesman's uh, desk, and there was no missing the fact that this guy was a fisherman. So this happens to be a Ford dealer, uh, Northern Kentucky, great fishing outdoor activity. Guess who, guess who everybody in the area came to because of this guy's reputation as an outdoorsman. They came to that guy and he loved it. We, I was there 20 minutes and we didn't talk about cars for a single moment. We talked about, he was telling stories about the different customers that he had pictures. 
he didn't have a picture of them with their car. He had a picture of them with their fish and or their catch from the different outings that they'd had. And so there's a great opportunity to highlight the the things, as you said, Herb, that differentiate each store. Because in every store, there's that opportunity. It's just not been, uh, it's not been valued as highly as it could be. And in my opinion, as I, again, I, I, I try to learn something every week and the perspectives, it dawned on me uh, from the OEM side, the way that they require the reviews and you've got to have a CSI of X and if you fall below this, you miss the incentives, blah, blah, blah. Well, what does that, you know, it's like unintended consequences. What does that mindset create? Well, the review becomes more important than the relationship. And I get it. The, the reviews are important, but it's, uh, it's been made unnecessarily important. Too much weight has been put on it. And so now there are, I, I don't believe technology is a solution. Technology is a tool that if it's used well, enhances what's good. But if it's used poorly, it highlights what's poor or what can be improved on. And there's a perfect example in the marketplace today. There's a, uh, a tool that some dealers are using that generates their reviews for them. And whether that's good or bad, a GM made a statement to me in, uh, talking about this tool, which they, in fact, use, and they love. I mean, they've, they've upped their, uh, their uh, total reviews. They've doubled those. Their Google rating has increased from 3.7 to 4.3. I mean, they're just, they love this. But the GM made a telling statement. He said, this tool doesn't do anything that we couldn't have done ourselves. It just makes it so we can check and see what's happening. And that's a, it's kind of a key component for me. When we have, when technology forces us or allows us, and you can choose what you want to be, to babysit, it means that our culture did not create the, the real environment that we desire. Mm. Because managers, what do managers get sucked into more often than not? Have you ever sat in a sales meeting and the, uh, the, the sales manager is asking each individual in the meeting, what about this unit? What about that unit? What about these numbers? Well, in reality, the sales meeting should be, everybody knows what those are. That information could have been provided previously, and the sales meeting could be more about what's our plan for next month. So I'm not trying to pick on sales managers. It's just an example of when, when, when our time is devoted to making sure someone else is doing their job. We have a process problem. Right on. Yeah, no, does that, does that no, it makes total sense. Yeah, I agree. So, uh, you know, obviously we could go forever, man. This has been great. Yes, I've, I've, we could go forever. Yeah, I really enjoyed the, the, uh, this uh, this topic. I, I, I enjoyed having you on. Hopefully we'll get a chance to have you back on so we can continue. But we are out of time. So, I want to give you a chance to let people know how they can get in touch with you and, um, you know, how they can reach out. But before I do that, I always would like to end with one with one quick question. I know we're out of time, but I got to ask it. 
where do you see the automotive industry in the next five years and why? Well, let me start with a quote. So I love to read, and uh, I'm reading a book by a gentleman called Erwin McManus, and his book's titled The Last Arrow. And uh, this quote is, let whatever lies ahead come, and whatever it costs you, whatever it demands of you, refuse to stay behind. Mm -hmm. and, and what I take that to mean, as I translate it, same thing, talking to a, to a general manager last week, uh, they're in a landlocked situation, they're tripling what they're, the size of their property, uh, just round numbers, let's say their, their property would make them a hundred unit a month dealer, they're moving 300 now. Wow. And they're adding another building, so the building's under construction, it'll open next year, and just round numbers, I just said to him, you know, what are you spending, a couple million, and, and he laughed, and he said, it's a little north of that. And my point in asking him that question was, per the OEM requirements, per the keeping up with the Joneses mentality, people are going to buy cars in stores. I don't buy the narrative that everybody wants to buy a car online. So we have to continue to develop ourselves, be the best that we can be personally, and focus. You know, as the thing I love about Eric and his LinkedIn presence, uh, if that dude's not focused and on fire, nobody is. So the idea that the industry is going to change, I'm, I'm that old guy, I'm 62 years old. The more things change, the more they remain the same. same yeah. We just have to be sure we're doing everything we can. That The, the one aspect for uh, there are lots of good opportunities, qualified, respected, motivated individuals on the digital marketing side. Dealers have to evaluate, understand the talents of the people they work with because there's plenty of talented. And then there's some that, you know, just aren't as good as others. Let's just be truthful. Make sure that you're holding yourself accountable your team, and especially your third-party vendors, because ultimately it's about getting more more customers onto that showroom floor in those gorgeous facilities. And the facility itself, you'd never allow the grass to go unmowed out front. You'd never have dirty cars on your front line. Don't allow your web presence to reflect reflect poorly on the virtual on the virtual visitor. So that they use that good presence to drive those visitors into your showroom and sell them a car. Well, there it is, folks. Um, great advice. I, I love that perspective. Uh, Bill, let us know really quick how we can get in touch with you, sir. Uh, cell phone number, area code 217-306-2555. Email bill at lottalk, L-O-T-T-A-L-K.com. Uh, I'm on, active on LinkedIn, not really on the other platforms, but uh, would be happy to help anyone. And that's the key. We're just here to serve, um, build a relationship. If we do business, great. But more importantly, if I can learn something from somebody, I'd love to hear from anybody who would like to contact us. Right on. So there it is, folks. Um, that's all we have for today. And uh, as usual, we'll talk later.